0: How many of you ever get a call from telemarketers? How many of you hate those phone calls? <laughs> all right, I do too. But, guys, look, I brought my phone up so I could. I'm gonna help you do something, okay? I'm gonna help you do two things. I get a call the other day from a telemarketer, and uh, first of all, I asked the guy's name. So, what's your name? And he's like, Joe. I'm Joe. Would you mind just hanging on for just one second? You know, I really want to talk to you, but uh, i got to put you on hold for a second. No problem, okay? And so he thinks that he's on hold, and I start off. Now, like I was saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I'm telling you, my friend, that the Bible says there's only one way to be saved, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to just tell you that the Bible says that there really is a heaven and there is a hell, and you're going to spend eternity with either God in heaven or you're going to spend eternity without God in hell. And by that time, I usually have a dial tone. All right. So, (laughs) anyway, the next time... What do you got to lose? This guy doesn't know you from Adam, okay? And there's going to be a day that, you know, that you're standing before the throne of God, and this guy's going to say, well, nobody ever told me about Jesus, and God's going to say, well, wait a minute. Remember when you were working as a telemarketer? (laughs) And you happened to call whoever? All right. Um, I'm going to pray. Uh, anybody got something on their heart they want to pray about this morning? Anything at all? Something that's, I mean, just, I need the one-minute prayer. Who's got one? All right, come on, Celeste. Need that microphone, hun? You can just do it from there. Oh, you want prayer. Okay, let's find out what it is.
1: Uh, this past Wednesday, my daughter, Grace, can you hear me? Yeah. This was diagnosed with, what looks like ovarian cancer. But we also know that the same symptoms are entirely non-cancerous, but they have to mention cancer because the symptoms are duplicate. I am believing that Grace is going to be absolutely cancer-free and symptom-free. She's had lots of pain for many, many months, and I believe that even this surgery, even that the cost of an abnormal ovary coming out that grace is going to be healed and whole, and they're going to come out and say, we found no cancer, not one cell, and I will give all praise and glory and honor to to our Lord Jesus. Amen.
0: Okay. All right, I'm going to read a scripture uh, to you and to the congregation as well, okay? And this is from Psalm 103. It says... Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquities, and he heals all of your diseases, and he redeems your life from destruction and crowns you with loving kindness. And so, Father, we just want to pray. That God, we know that you are the great healer, that by your stripes we've been healed. And we just say from the book of Malachi, let the son of righteousness overshadow you with healing in his wings. Father, bring healing. And not, just not, that's not just for uh, Celeste and her request, but that's for anyone in here. Anyone that needs healing this morning, just stand up. Just stand up right now. Just right where you are. If you need a healing in your life, some of those that are gathered around, go lay hands on them. We're going to pray for healing. We, we believe. This is a church that believes in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe in miracles. And some people think that, that healing is just a New Testament concept. But Jesus in the Old Testament, he says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There was healing in the Old Testament. There was healing um, of uh, uh, I, I'm just trying to think of the remember the woman whose son was uh, you know actually dead there was resurrection of the the dead in the Old Testament and the prophet she came to the prophet uh, elisha and she said didn't I say don't promise me a son don't give me a son don't promise me a son and God gave her son and blessed her with the son and her son was sick and he and he died and he sent his servant and laid his uh, he uh, staff upon him, then Elisha laid down face to face on this guy, and, uh, and life came back. And healing power, there is healing power uh, in the name of Jesus. The psalmist said, I will live and I will not die. And Father, I just believe that we believe Your word. We believe that there is healing power. There was healing for Hezekiah when he thought that he was going to die, and, and the the prophet made a, a poultice out of fig leaves and put it on him, and he was restored to life. And not only was restored to life, but God added 15 years to his life. And God, you are the God. You are uh, Jehovah, not only Jireh, the great provider, but you are Jehovah. Rohe, the, the, the great healer. And Father, we just ask you now in Jesus' name to bring healing to everyone that's requesting healing this morning. We ask that the healing power of your Holy Spirit would fall in this place this morning and bring resurrection life and healing power. And we ask this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen and amen. All right. We serve a mighty God. I want to talk to you this morning about uh, comebacks. Comebacks. And uh, I love the underdog. I'm just, I'll, you know, it's just like I'm always rooting for the underdog. You know, you got the team, you got the, you know, the, the team that's, you know, they, they've never, they, they're at the, you know, end of the series, you know, kind of end of the season. They haven't lost a game yet. And somehow there's part of me that says, man, I'd love to see them just go through the season without losing a game. And then there's part of me that says, Come on, dude, you can do it. You can, you can take this team. You know that, that saying on any given Sunday, right? Well, it was uh, Team USA was trailing New Zealand eight races to one. Uh, this was in the American Cup. They had lost eight races and only won one. And they come back to win seven consecutive races and went on to win the American Cup. In uh, 1994, in Kentucky, the Wildcats rallied from a 31-point down deficit with only 15 minutes left on the clock. Rick Pitino, the Kentucky coach at the time, is likely still trying to figure out how it happened. He says, I can't believe it, Pitino uh, told the New York Times. I know I've never ever witnessed anything like this. In In 2003, Indianapolis Colts, Scored 21 points, 21 points in the final five minutes of Monday Night Football Spectacular to knock off a truly stunned Tampa Bay Buccaneer team, 38 to 35. Trailing 28 to seven, heading into the fourth quarter, Peyton, Peyton, um, uh, what's his last name? Uh, Peyton, that's for Carlos. (laughs) <laughs> Got to give him a little hard time here this morning. Peyton Manning led the Colts back in a vintage Manning fashion, and a lot of those plays, I chipped my hat to Manning," said John Gruden, the Bucks coach at the time. He said he made some miraculous throws, and they made some incredible catches. Uh, 2001, Duke trailed Maryland by 22 points in the first half of the 2001 Final Four before mounting a 95-84 to 84 comeback, comeback victory. Uh, you're losing, this is what their coach said, you're losing so much you can't, uh, this, talk about a locker room conversation, a pep talk, a rally talk in the locker room. He says, you're losing by so much you can't play any worse. He says, what are you worried about, losing by 40 points? They come back to win the game. 1993, I saw this game. Buffalo Bills playing in Houston, the biggest NFL comeback in history. Falling behind 35-3 to in the second half, the Bills quarterback, Frank Reich, uh, threw four touchdown passes to lead the Bills back to a 41-38 to victory. Brigham Young, 1980. Jim McMahon, you remember him from Chicago. A uh, young man with an attitude. Um... It says, uh, BYU scored 21 points, listen to this, 21 points in the final three minutes of the Cougars rumbled with the Southern Methodist in 1980 Holiday Bowl to win 46 to 45, 21 points in the final three minutes. How do you do that? I didn't think you could run the, t- run the football three times you know, for 100 yards in three minutes. In uh, 1995, Reggie Miller scored eight points, listen to this, eight points with 18.7 seconds left in the game. That's incredible. Went on to win. 19, or 2010, the Philadelphia Flyers stormed back from a three, listen to this, in the series, not just the game, they were down three to nothing in the series and they came back to win four games in a row, winning the series seven to three. Southern California. Sports Illustrated summarized the Trojans' improbable comeback over Notre Dame to near perfection It was called the California earthquake. It was caused by USC. It lasted almost 17 minutes and its victim was Notre Dame. When it was over, Anthony Davis and his teammates were on solid ground while the Irish laid buried under a mountain of points. USC scored 55 unanswered points. They were down 24 to nothing. I mean, this is amazing stuff. You can't make this stuff up, this is real. And then in uh, 2010, um, the men's national team scored with just moments left. They were tied zero to zero with just seconds left on the clock. And uh, one of the men, one of the American men kicked a, uh, a goal. And they went on to win the game. You know, guys, I want to just tell you that life is just like that. I mean, you know, when you think it's all over, when you think that it is over and life is over for your marriage or for your job or for your children or you got kids that are starting to do drugs or you got kids that are in school that aren't doing well, um, you know, when things are just going bad in life and we have a tendency to just throw up our hands and just say, God, you know, if, if this is all you can do, I'm checking out, I'm done. I'm just I'm just done with Christianity. I'm done with church. I'm done with reading my Bible because I thought you were bigger than my problems. But you know the issue is, guys, that God is bigger than your problems if you'll just give Him that moment. Just give Him that moment to come in and work in your life. Um, lost my spot. It's a problem with these little things. So today I want to talk to you about turning your setbacks into comebacks. And I believe that just like every one of those stories that I told you, that there's a possibility for if you give God the opportunity, God will show up and he will begin to work in your life. And by the way, I see Steve there, and I forgot to call on you. And so I'm just going to take a timeout right here, okay? And I'm going to ask Steve to come up. You guys give Steve a warm welcome. We'll take a 30-second timeout, Steve, uh, since we're talking about sports. Good morning,
2: church. Well, I'm here uh, for uh, Don Compton, and uh, he wanted to make sure that everybody had an opportunity. There's a training uh, that's required. If you want to go into the state prison system and do ministry, those are some underdogs. You know, Satan has got them down 50 to 0. And some of them are in their last minute. And it's an opportunity uh, to get involved with some prison ministry. But to go to these ministries, you must have a training. And the training is only scheduled once so far this year that I'm aware of for men and women. And it's this coming Tuesday. uh, And I have maps and information at a little table in the back. And it'll be from 5.45 to 8 o'clock. And so... It will. this training will work with many of the different uh, ministries that are out there, but, but it is required to be in a state prison to have this training. So see me afterwards, and I'll fill you in. Okay, Steve, thank you very much. You know,
0: uh, I did um, jail ministry for uh, almost 12 years before I became a pastor, you know, here at the, uh, at the Light. It was called Cap- Capital Christian at the time. But... Uh, um, it's a great great ministry uh, you go in uh, the way that it was set up at the time that I went in uh, they had a library and if you wanted to come for a Bible study you could come and if you didn't no one twisted your arm but uh, there were a lot of great guys there and uh, I've shared this with you before I'll be walking you know down the hall and uh, at the mall and I'll see somebody that I you know shared the word with and you know, and the guy will yell, out, hey, Ron, Ron, hey, you remember me from prison? <laughs> I'm like looking around, does anybody know me here? It's not like, you know, you don't remember me from prison. I was the preacher there. <laughs> so anyway, we want to talk about this morning turning your setbacks. You know, how can, how can you? I mean, some of you are in a place right now where you're just really just, you're at wit's end. You're just ready to throw your hands up. And, uh, and just really just kind of quit. Um, so I'm going to read a couple of scriptures for you, and then we're going to get into a scripture that you know very well. In Proverbs chapter 24, it says, Though a righteous man falls seven times, he will rise again. I love that. He will rise again. Amen? And, and though you've stumbled and fallen and maybe your business has been a failure, or your marriage has been a failure, or you know, your kids have just taken a wrong path in life, you know, maybe there's some difficult things that are going on in your life, and you, you just feel, you know, just like, you know, God, where are you? I want to tell you that where he is is where he's always been, and he's watching you, and, and life can be a trial or a test sometimes, and it's where are you going to put your faith? Who are you going to put your faith in? He says a righteous man may fall seven times, but he will, he will, he will, he will, not probably, not maybe, he will rise again. Proverbs 24, 16, Micah chapter 7, verse 8, it says, Do not rejoice against me, O my enemy, for though I fall, here it, here it comes again, I will rise again. And you got to have that kind of attitude as a believer, as a Christian, you got to have that kind of like that tenacity. God, I'm not letting go of you. Remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago? Jacob wrestling with the angel. And the, he told the angel, he said, I am not letting you go. All right, we can fight. We'll fight for another day if you want to. But I'm not letting you go until what? Until you bless me, is what he said. I want a blessing from you. I want to be blessed by you. And the angel is just like, okay. You know, you have fought. You have fought against God and man, and you have won, is what uh, the angel told Jacob. So, uh, you know, in this life, you know, not everybody's going to love you. We wish I kind of wish they would. You know, it, it's its better to be loved than it is to be hated. But Jesus has already given us the little caveat. He, he's already given us the forewarning. In John chapter 15, verse 18, it says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, as if you were just like apart from me, and you were just like the world, The world would love you because the world loves its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And so being in this present world for the time being is under the sway of a spiritual enemy who not only hates God, but he hates all of those who loves God. And so in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike, we see great tribulation, we see great suffering for those that had uh, a love for God. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, Yes, and all who desire to live a godly life or live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So don't think it's strange. Peter goes on to say, don't think it's strange about this fiery trial that you're going to go through because all believers eventually are going to go through it. And so when we think about it, when you think about, you know, it's discouraging enough when we make mistakes and then we have to pay for the consequences of our mistakes, the mistakes that we've made. But when you're living right, when you're reading your Bible, when you're praying to God, when you're going to church, when you're in fellowship, and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose in your life and you start thinking, God, what's going on? I mean, you know, what is it? I mean, I've been trying to live a, a godly life. I've been trying to live my life for you. And then all of a sudden, look, look, what's going on? You, might, you know, your marriage is going bad. Your, your, your health is going bad. Your children are going the wrong way. And, uh, you know, I want, I want you to know it just seems like the devil attacks us just when we're on the brink of a a major breakthrough, when you are about to break through and get to the place where God, the next level, I like to call it the next level, because today, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, and you're, you're serious about your walk with God, you're not where you are or were last year or two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. The Bible says that from day to day, that God is changing us from glory to glory. He's changing us. You know, he's changing. He says, even though our outward man perishes, he says our inward man is renewed day by day. And so every day, you know, you should be growing in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But so he brings you through these different levels of growth. And it just seems like just before you're about to break through this next level of growth in your life, that all of a sudden you come under this spiritual attack. But I want, you to, I want to tell you that the Bible says that you're not alone. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible is full of people that had comeback stories. I'm going to just share a couple of those with you. You know, we think about Moses, great man of God, uh, lived in Pharaoh's court. But one day he kills an Egyptian. And then he's, uh, you know, kind of driven out of Egypt, lives in the desert for 40 years, kind of isolated. And then God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you to lead the children of Israel back and into the promised land. And so uh, he, he gave, you know, Israel the law. You know, he went up on the mountain with uh, with God. You know, he, he met God face to face. He spoke with God as a man speaks to another man. So if Moses made a comeback, I want to tell you that you can make a comeback too. David, same thing. David is a great, you know, a young man, anointed king of Israel, um, committed adultery, committed murder, uh, lied. Uh, but then he confesses his sins. He's restored to the kingdom. He's restored as king. And, you know, just right there at the edge of destruction, and God brings him back. David makes a comeback. He makes a comeback. The story of Joseph. Joseph was a little bit different. There was no sin in his life, but he was hated by his brothers. He was despised by his brothers. The Bible says that his brothers were jealous of him. They sold him into slavery. And then in Egypt, you know, he's in Potiphar's house, falsely accused of of rape or attempted rape thrown into prison, raised up in the prison. No matter where you put this guy, he was always coming back. And then he was finally raised to the second-in-command of Egypt. Talk about the comeback kid. Joseph was one of those kind of guys. And then the book of Job tells us about Job. Everybody knows his story. Job lost everything, and one day he lost his wealth, his health, and his family. All he had left was his faith of God, and that proved to be enough in Job's life. Uh, God had allowed Satan to test Job, and what the devil meant for destruction, God turned it around and used it for good. And God gave Job double everything that he had taken from him. And the Job says in verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. We know that scripture. All of us know that scripture. Though so what he was saying is, I, you know, I don't know, I'm at, I'm at the end of my rope, I don't have any place to go, I'm at the end of the road, but though God slay me, I'm going to continue to put my faith and my hope and my trust in, in God. And what Job was saying is, I've lost a lot, I, don't, I, I, you know, I didn't know if I could make it, but with God's help, I would bounce back. And if Job made a comeback in life, I want you to know that you can make a comeback in life as well. So when you're in the wilderness and you're trying to figure out what's going on, what you're trying to understand, you know, these trials and these difficulties that you're going through, uh, just remember that God is preparing you. God is testing you for the next level, the next level of your Christian walk. Uh, he's getting you ready for the next level of his uh, use for you in the kingdom of God. I want to just read from, uh, from Luke chapter 5, a story that you guys all know. I've preached it so many times to you that you probably know it by heart, but I just want to put a little different slant on it this morning. In uh, Luke chapter 5, it says that, So it was, as the multitude passed by to hear him, talking about Jesus, and to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing in in the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little for the, from the land. Now, just think about this. We know the story. Those of you know the story that Simon and his buddies had been fishing all night long. I don't know if you've ever fished all night long. I'll tell you what. When the fish aren't biting, after about an hour, I'm done. Or Seriously, you know, it's just like, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've thrown everything that's in my box at them, and they're still not biting. It's like, you know, let's go get a burrito. <laughs> Let's try something else. Let me bite. Um, so, but if you fished all night long and you haven't caught anything and you're cleaning your nets and you're ready to go home and someone says, let's launch out into the deep, I mean, I don't even know if I want to do that. You know, I mean, i got to wash my boat. i got to scrub my boat. Everything's got to be clean. You don't just leave your boat in the water. you get barnacles on it, so you've got to pull it up, you know, get it on the shore. But Jesus says Simon, he says, put out a little from the land. And so Simon and Jesus in the boat. They, uh, um, it says, he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, or he had stopped teaching, he said to Simon, "Now listen to this. I'm talking about two different fishing trips, okay? I want you to understand the difference between the two of them." He told Simon, he says, "Launch out into the deep." Get that? Launch out into the deep and let down your nets. And Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've worked all night long. And, and Simon was a professional fisherman. And he knew that the best time to catch fish was at night. You know, when the water gets warm during the day, it's not so good fishing. Early in the morning, late in the evening, nighttime, it's good. Simon answered him and said, Master, we toiled all night. We worked, worked hard all night. We haven't even caught a minnow. said, in fact, we're getting ready to take home our bait. But He says, nevertheless, listen to this. I love this. And this is a life-changing verse. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down my net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came, and they filled both uh, boats so full that they begin to sink. You, got, you know, it's just like all night long, they're fishing, and they catch nothing. And in 10 minutes with Jesus, they got two boats that are sinking because of all of the fish. And he says that, says that when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet. And he said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished. They were amazed at the catch of fish they, which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon. Do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men. And so when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Now, let me tell you what this is like. This is like you being about 80 years old and playing the lottery every day all of your life for 80 years. And then all of a sudden you win it. And you cash the check and you put the money on the beach and... You walk away and you start following Jesus. It's really, it's just like that. I mean, this is the biggest thing that's ever happened in Peter's life. And it all happened because of one thing that Jesus, or that Peter, was obedient to the word of God. Now, he could have argued with Jesus. You know, he could have just said, You know, Lord, I'm a professional fisherman. You're not. But there comes a time in our life, and I, I believe, honestly believe, and you got to believe this too, uh, Simon Peter made a living. That's how he paid his bills, just like you pay your bills. Many of you are good at what you do. Uh, but there comes a time when your best, when your best is just not good enough. And, uh, you know, I believe that Jesus uses these, these teachings and these miracles as illustrations um, you know, that sometimes that our best by ourselves just isn't good enough. That you studied as hard as you could for the test and you thought you were going to make an A and you walked away with a C. Or you thought, you know, I'm going to take marriage counseling classes, we're going to see counselors, we're going we're to devote six months or a year to this, and you try that, and at the end of that time, your marriage still isn't any better. Or you really wanted to devote your life to your kids, and you got them involved in everything you possibly could. You got them in sports and band and drama and, you know, all of these different things. And then there came a time in their life and in your life where you saw your kid take the fork in the road, and it wasn't the right fork. It was a fork that was leading toward destruction. And you're thinking about, you know, what did I do wrong? When you've put everything that you possibly can into it and it's still not working. And let me just tell you the difference between the two fishing trips. Peter and James and John fishing all night long and coming up absolutely with nothing. The one difference is, the the major difference is that when they fished the first time, Jesus was on the shore. When they fished the second time, Jesus was in their boat. And that's what you need. If you're going through some trials right now, if you're going through some problems right now, you need to make sure that you got Jesus, that you got God in your boat, All right? It says that, um, you know, I love what Jesus said. He said, put out into the deep. You know, if you don't have a boat, chances are you're fishing from the shore. And if you're fishing from the shore, you're fishing in shallow water. And a lot of people are, are comfortable fishing in, in shallow water because, you know what, you get out into a boat, you get out, I don't know if anybody's, any of you, any of you ever been, on, you know, like out on a boat when a storm came and the waves were just like, I mean, really super high? Anybody, anybody been like that? it's like scary. I mean, it's like, you know, it's out of your control. You can't do anything except pray. And, uh, I mean, I've been like that. It's like, oh, my gosh, where's the closest land? Just give me an island. I don't care how big it is. It can be as big as this stage. Just let me get off the water. And, you know, that when you're, you know, Jesus said, you know, let's get, it, let's get out where, you know, a lot of fishermen aren't comfortable. Let's get out into the deep. Because if, I, if you follow me out into the deep, That's where the big fish are. And, you know, you can catch small fish. You can catch minnows. You can catch the little perch, maybe the little trout, you know, from the shoreline. But if you want to catch, I don't know how many of you guys saw this. Guy caught the record. I think he caught the record striper. Anybody see this news story a couple of weeks ago? Elephant Butte. Guy caught a record uh, striper down there. Fifty-four-some-odd pounds. I mean, that fish was as big as he was. And seriously... You know what he did with it? Turned it loose. So if you're looking to catch a big fish, he's still there. But he didn't catch it next to the shore. He caught it out in the deep. See, fishing next to the shore and in the shallow waters, oh, you feel comfortable. You got your feet on solid ground. I don't care if there's a little bit of waves coming, but you get out there where the water's over your head. I mean, your faith has got to be in God. And so Peter's just like, You know, Lord, whatever you say, whatever you say. And so it says that, you know, that, that, you know, you, you got to get God in your boat. You got to get Jesus in the boat. And then the second thing is, as I just mentioned, that you've got to obey. And we're not talking about fishing right now. We're just talking about you and your life and the situation that you're in. You've got to be obedient to the word of God. Now, that was the word of God. When Jesus spoke this word to Peter, this was the word of God. We know that Jesus, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld him as the glory, as the only begotten glory of the Father. In John chapter 1, starting verse 1 and ending verse 14. Verse 14. He says that Peter obeyed the word of God. The, the, the word of God came to Peter and said, Jesus said, push out and drop your net. Drop your net right where I tell you to drop your net. Now, some of you are in a situation right now where you, you don't know what to do about work, about jobs, about marriage, about children. There are things in your life that you don't know what to do, and you need to hear a word. The first time, the disciples fished all night without Jesus being in the boat. The second time, Jesus gets in the boat, and then he gives Peter a word. He says, I want you to go right over here, and when you get here, drop your net. And Peter drops his net. He says, Lord, we fished all night, but at your word, at your word. Now, listen to me. Please, please, please hear me. That there is... There is, um, there is a reward. There is, um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, when th- there, there is blessing is the word I'm looking for. There is blessing when you obey God. And if you read Deuteronomy chapter 28, Starting at verse 1, it says, blessed are those. And he lists all of those things. Blessed are you in the city. Blessed are you in the country. Blessed are your children. Blessed are your cattle. Blessed are your fields. Blessed are all of your things when you're obedient to the word of God. And Peter was obedient to the word of God and says, at your word, I will do it. I will do what you say. And I believe that many of you are like that today, that it's kind of like, you know, Isaiah talks about, uh, he talks about a group of people that were disobedient to the Word of God. And he says, you know, you're like blind men. You're groping around like in the noonday sun, and you can't figure out what to do. You can't figure out what, where to go. You, you're lost. You're lost during the middle of the day, and you've got eyes that can see, and you're still not able to see. And he says, it's because you're not being obedient to me. And when we are obedient to God, when you're obedient to God and uh Obey His word, Jesus says. Now that you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Now that you know God's word, happy are you if you do it. I think it was uh, the singer L- Ethel Waters that said that when God God is guiding your life, you cannot fail. As the late gospel singer Ethel Waters used to say, "God doesn't sponsor flops." He has sponsored you. Remember last week we talked about the word overcomer? We talked about Nike, the word Nike, the Greek word Nike, that means winner, victory. God wants you to win in everything that you do. God wants you to be a winner. And so there are, you know, deep uh, Christians and there are shallow Christians. And most most Christians live their lives in shallow water because they don't want to take a chance but when god is about to do something great in your life he it calls for faith and faith calls for obedience and so you've got to hear god's voice and then you've got you know one or two responses lord i'm going to play it safe and i'm going to stay right here or like peter god you know when J- jesus said get out of the boat it's like i don't i don't know what the other guys were doing i'm sure that they were looking like looking at peter like dude you can you, you think you can walk on water you really think you can walk on water? And he got out and he did. He did. He did walk on water. But then he took his eyes off of God. He took his eyes off of Jesus and he saw the wind and he saw the waves and it's like, and that's just the way it is in our life. We take our eyes off of God and things begin to fall apart in our life and we, it's like, God, where are you? You know, if you stay focused on God, God is going to call you to do some incredible things, some ridiculous things, like Gideon. I mean, Gideon's got 300,000 men there ready to fight a battle, and God says, that's too many. And so they begin to whittle the army down, you know. And they get down to 300, and it said that the enemy that came up against them... Was, was more than like a, 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 a group of locusts. It was more than grasshoppers on the ground. And God said, I'm going to send 300 men out there with you, uh, and, and you're going to defeat this enemy with 300 men. It's ridiculous. And so Gideon had two options. It's like, okay, this is crazy. This sounds crazy, but I'm going to do it. Or it's like, God, I, that guy right there looks like he has a little more faith than I do. Why don't you use him? Isn't that what Moses tried to do with Aaron? Isn't that what Moses tried to say that, you know, I, I can't talk. I'm not good at it. I'm not good at public speaking. You know, I mean, they say the two greatest fears that people have are dying and public speaking. And, and sometimes they get them both at the same time. Uh, they start speaking and just keel over. Uh, but but uh, Aaron was saying, look, use, use Moses. Don't use me. And we are like that. We're content to stay in the shallow water. And God's saying, look, deep is calling to deep. You want to see the great things of God? You want to see the miracles of God? God's saying, come on out. Get out. Let's get out into some deeper water, and I'll show you some great things. I show you things that eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and heart has not understood. You've never, you've never seen anything like God wants to do in your life if you'll be obedient to his voice and get out into the deep. Amen? All right. All right. Two or three of you want to experience that. It's like the rest of you. Are going to, I'm going to stay here at the shore, fish from the shore to see what happens. All right. And then finally, when we hear God's word, you've got to expect I believe that Peter, you know, got out there and I I believe that Peter actually thought, you know what, I don't think we're going to fail. I think that I've been listening to this guy talk on the shore. There's something that's been resonating in my spirit as I've been listening to Jesus talk and he says for me to drop my net. Now, he's going to look like a fool if I don't come up with something. I mean, because he's the one that said to do it. I'm not not the one that's going to look bad in this deal. You know, if we don't come up, we come up with empty nets, I'm going to say, hey, Jesus, I thought you were a fisherman. And so he says, I'll do it. I'm going to do it at your word. I'm going to drop it where you told me to drop it. Why? Because I believe in the promises of God. I believe in the promises of God. And when you expect... God to do something that he says in his word. When Abraham believed God, it says that Abraham believed God about having a child, and he believed it. It took forever, I'm sure, in Abraham's mind. He was a 100 years old. He was way past, you know, the age of being able to, you know, uh, conceive with his wife and and have a child. But, you know, it says that he believed God. There have been others that you know, the, a man with leprosy, two blind men on the side of the road. They come to Jesus, and Jesus said, do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe this? The blind man in John chapter, I believe it's in John chapter 9, comes to Jesus. And, you know, he said, you know, Jesus comes up to him, and he asks the same question. Do you believe that I can do this? Do you really believe it? Is it or is it just like something you've heard before, or heard something you've heard somebody else say about me? Do you really believe it in your heart that God wants to help you in your marriage or in your finances? You might be thinking today, well, God doesn't care about my finances. God doesn't care about my marriage. Well, you know what? If you're walking around with an attitude like that, you're probably not going to see God do something with your finances or your marriage. But when you say, you grab a hold of God's word and you say, God, Like Jacob, I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go until you fix this marriage. I'm not letting go until you fix this business. I'm not letting go until you, you know, get me through this school. I'm not going to quit halfway through. I'm going to go ahead and finish college. I'm going to get my degree, and I'm going to go on, and I'm going to be somebody in life, and I'm going to make a difference in this world because of what Jesus has done in my life. Amen? All right. Well, let me wrap it up. Somebody said, thank God. (laughs) Uh, You know, if you're a basketball player, whether you you just like to do it for fun, you know, with your buddies, when you make a shot, And it doesn't go in. It kind of hits the rim. You know, you don't just sit there with your hands on your hips going, you know, kicking your foot against the ground like dang. You know what you do? And you're going for the ball. You go back for the ball. You go for the rebound. And you try, you know, if I miss the shot, I'm going to try to get it again. It's called a ball hog. You know, I'm going to get it again. I'm going to try again. Let me try one more time. Let me try one more shot. I think I can make it. If I miss the second time, give me the ball. I'm going to try it one more time. I know I can make this shot. I know I can do it. That is the heart that God wants you to have, that you just keep trying, and God will help you make that shot. The Bible says again, We started this way, and I want to end this way before we have communion. We do have communion this morning, so I'm going to ask our servers if you'll uh, gather the elements and bring them forward. It says, listen to this. He says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he will rise again. He will rise again. And Micah says, do not rejoice against me, O my enemy, for though I fall, I will rise again. If you have that kind of attitude, if you have that attitude that with, you know, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you have that kind of attitude, Jesus plus, you know, plus nothing, plus nothing equals everything. I mean, there's nothing impossible with God. There's nothing that God can't do. There's no, nothing that God's not able to do. If you put your faith in him. It says that he, all things are possible with him. These are the kind of promises that you got to hold on to. These are the kind of promises you can say, God, I'm coming back to you with your word. In fact, he even says in the word, he says, put me in remembrance of my word. Why? Did he forget it? No. It's for your benefit, not for his. It's a promise. Lord, here's a promise in your word that says that you are Jehovah-Jireh that you will provide for me. Here's another promise in your word from Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, 33. It says that, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things. All of what kind of things? All the things he was talking about before. Your food, your shelter, your clothing, what you're going to drive, where you're going to live, who you're going to marry. All of these things will, will come together when you seek first the kingdom of God. But many times we show up with the attitude is, you know, like God Let me, I gotta just gotta put you on the back burner for a while because I gotta make enough money. I gotta find a wife. I gotta, you know, build a house. I gotta do all of these things. And God is saying, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you. If you folks will come on up, our servers. So, how many of you are ready for a comeback? All right. Well, I tell you what, God's ready to give you one. So let me just remind you of what we said this morning. Number one, you gotta get Jesus in your boat. You gotta get into the pres- the very presence of God. The Bible says that in his presence there's fullness of joys of joy. Number two, you've got to be obedient to the word of God. And number three, you've got to expect God to answer your prayers, and stand firm on his promises. Get God in your presence, or get into God's presence. Get God in your boat. Obey the word of God. Be obedient. Is there anything in your life that you're not being obedient to right now? You you need to confess that as sin. God's not going to hold that against you forever. He just simply says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I want you to stand with me for a second, and I want to do that. I want to, as you're thinking about, Lord, where have I sinned against you today or yesterday? Lord, where have I been disobedient to you? Where have I not trusted you? Lord, where have I just not exercised faith that I've been content to be in shallow water and I need to be in deeper water? Take me out to the deep. Listen to this. This is a scripture. Deep. Deep is calling to deep. Deep. You want to see the deep things of God? Deep is calling to deep. He says, you know, I just want to show you some great things, some great, great things. The last scripture that I want to read is, if you guys will just look at the overhead, I think it's the last, take up the last scripture there. I want you to think about this. The eyes of the Lord search back and forth across the whole earth looking for people God's looking for people this morning God's looking for people whose hearts are perfect toward him so he can show his great power in helping them you know I don't care if it's past the two minute warning I don't care if there's only five seconds left on the clock that with God on your side You will be an overcomer. You will be a winner. And God is calling you to a comeback right now. He's calling you to a comeback. That the world will know when they look at you and they look at your life and they will say, you know what? When I look at him, only God. Only God. And your life will be a testimony to the greatness of God and what God can do. Uh, Maybe you've been a drug addict. Maybe you've been a prostitute. Maybe you've been a drunk You know, I don't care what you've been. I don't care where your feet have, you know, been in the past. I just care about where your feet are going right now, where they're facing right now. If you're facing toward the cross, if you're facing toward Jesus, and if you're believing that all things are possible, all things are possible to those that believe, that you can be an overcomer, and God will call you back, and you can become the comeback kid of your generation or your neighborhood. So with our heads bowed, and um, I just want us to uh, confess our sins to uh, just quietly before the Lord. It's whatever the Holy Spirit shows you in your heart. something you said or did or didn't do maybe this morning again with heads bowed and eyes closed and you're saying you know what today's the day I've heard enough today's the day I want to give my life to Jesus Christ is that you is God speaking to your heart today Just raise your hand. Nobody's looking. This is you and God. This is you and God. Raise them up high. Go ahead. Raise them up high. It's just you and God. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So you can put them down. I just want to pray for you. You just pray a simple prayer. God, I know that I've been a sinner. I've violated your word. I've broken your commandments. I'm asking that you would forgive me, that you would wash me, in the blood of your Son, Jesus, that you would write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lord, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that you would help me live a life worthy of the call, live a life worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus gave on Calvary's cross. For the rest of you that have been in the same place for a long time, just on the shallows, if you're serious, God, the Holy Spirit has touched your heart this morning. Just say, Lord, lead me to the deep. I hear deep calling me. I hear deep calling me, and I want to respond. So as deep calls, and I want deep, Take me into the deeper things of God, I ask this in Jesus' name. Take me to the next level for your glory, not for my glory, not for my benefit, but all for the glory of your name. Amen.